And another thing And another thing And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins. I'm Tony Clement. And another big-time episode for you. Um, Tony, last week we had Toronto Mike on. Yes. And that that was... The fan after that. It was an interesting fallout. I mean, that guy's got some serious heat with some people. I, I don't know. I think I told you this, but I just happened to be going around on Twitter looking at some of the conversations around Toronto Mike and shows, et cetera. And remember stand-up comedian and late-night talk show host Mike Bullard? I do remember Mike Bullard. Yeah, like he was dropping F-bombs against Toronto Mike. And Dean Blundell got into the action too. Oh, my word. Yeah, Toronto radio kind of everybody's going at each other's throats right now. It's just – and we were kind of in the middle of it. I didn't even know – that that was going to be part of the show, and uh, but uh, Toronto Mike was uh, gracious enough to let us know what he uh, kind of hinting at what he was dropping uh, after our podcast came out, and uh, boy oh boy, there really uh, there's a lot of bad feeling both ways, I think. Yeah, and Mike, you got you got to go and see those Mike Bullard tweets though, like that. Like oh yeah, that guy, he was is some definite. Uh, Definite anger going on there. So I don't know where this all stems from. I certainly, again, one-sided. I don't know Toronto Mike. I know you know him better than I do. But, you know, first impressions from having him on the show, I mean, I can't imagine that that guy no. would be a jerk. So I, I don't know what what this is all about. But. Well, it's, uh, I guess, the Toronto radio community. Uh, I guess we're we're seeing the dark side of it, Jody. Yeah, the dark side of Toronto. <laughs> side. Yeah, yeah. Um, as always, this show is brought to you each week by the great team at Municipal Solutions. John Mutton and the crew have done a wonderful job in supporting us, and we couldn't do this without them. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And, Tony, I know that you can expand, as only you do, uh, on what they do. Yes, and uh, congratulations to John. I think uh, his daughter won another jujitsu championship or something like that. So a bit of celebration going on there. But uh, on the business side of things, John's company, Municipal Solutions, is Ontario's leading MZO firm, Municipal Zoning Orders. That's when you need to get a development approved or a permit. uh, And sometimes... uh, they do it through the council or sometimes they do it through the province through MZOs. So they are experts on that. They're great for planning services with municipalities, engineering and architectural services, minor variances and land severances and those all important building permits. Go to municipalsolutions.ca. I'd also like to remind our listeners that, yes, we are on terrestrial radio. Uh, we are on 88.7 The Bay in Muskoka, huntersbayradio.com. Every Saturday morning at 8.30 a.m., you can hear an episode of this podcast. So we encourage you to check out not only our podcast, but some other podcasts at huntersbayradio.com. And our latest, newest sponsor, yes, Julie, the Muskoka Chef is also a sponsor of our podcast. 
It is a female-owned local food services company. The Muskoka Chef uh, serves the Muskoka Lakes region all year round. Services include on-site and off-site catering, private chef experiences, and micro-wedding catering services. She's located on Lake Joseph, delivers food by car uh, to your front door or by boat to your dock. Now, summer 2022 uh, is in full force, of course. She still has some spots available, but she also has spots available September 22 and beyond. And she offers also vegetarian, vegan, and gluten-free options. Go to themuskokachef.com or call Julie. She's that available, 416-846-3653. And looneypolitics.com is your home for exclusive content that you can't get anywhere else, including episodes of our show that you can only hear when you become a subscriber. Use the code podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription at looneypolitics.com. Now, before we get to our guest tonight, Tony, I know that earlier we were talking again about the Toronto radio scene. I know that you are a well-known radio personality with Hunter's Bay Radio and and what you were talking about there earlier with our show being on terrestrial radio. Do you have like any beef or any like heat that you uh, have started with like other Muskoka based personalities, maybe in Bracebridge, <laughs> uh, McTeer or something like that? And <laughs> not, not myself. Uh, uh, it, but you know, uh, there's that old adage uh, when the stakes are so low, that's when people are the most vicious. So, uh, I would say, uh, there's, there's some, sometimes some bad will in Muskoka radio land. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but, uh, it's not always uh, unicorns and rainbows. Let's just put it that way. That <laughs> makes me laugh. <laughs> I know, but it's true. I think you can bear can you know like you can barely get Muskoka based radio stations anywhere else <laughs> other than Muskoka. Well, uh you'd think that we'd all want to cooperate because it's a, such a small market, but no, no, that doesn't happen. And it's not our fault. Hunters Bay Radio is is completely faultless in this. We had our Jody, we had our, you know, the the transmitter, and there's uh, at the base of the transmitter, there's uh, all that equipment, right? Yeah. Somebody, somebody arsoned it last year. Oh, really? Yeah, they broke in and set the whole thing on fire. Maybe they weren't happy with your rock and shindig. <laughs> they weren't happy with something, so we reported it to the police. And well, you know, I don't know if it's arson. What do you don't want? Somebody broke in with a crowbar and torched it. What do you think that was an accident or something? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. By the way, I just thought of another thing. If if Toronto Radio has like Toronto Mike, you should be Muskoka Tony. Yeah, I'm no? Tony's Rock and Shindig. No, but you should be Muskoka Tony. You think so? Yes. Okay. Well, you should start something with Blundell. Uh, no, I do not want to start something with Blundell. Thank you very much. You think of <laughs> something else to do Muskoka with your time. Muskoka Tony. Oh, <laughs> I can start that for you if you want. No, it's just, quite all right. Thank you. Just for, say the word. Yeah. No, I'm quite happy with our with our pleasant little podcast here. And we have a great guest also in radio, Jody. Uh, Brian Crombie is also the CEO of TerraCap. I think I've got that right. I real estate. COO. No. What's that? COO. Chief Operating Officer. COO of TerraCap, a real estate development company. Is that right? My boss would get very upset if you uh, gave me his job. 
Yes, I apologize for that. COO of TerraCap. And he also, you also run your own financial consultancy and you are the host at radio station Saga 960 AM in Mississauga, Ontario. And uh, we thank you for joining us today. And Brian Crombie, welcome to And Another Thing Podcast. Podcast. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be with you, Tony. So talk Thanks a little bit about your radio show, first of all. What uh, what do you do on that radio show? Some interesting guests you've had, that kind of thing. Well, it's kind of interesting. I uh, have almost over 1,000 guests, over 750 uh, shows. I've been doing it for almost three years now, two and a half years. I, I was recruited to launch it uh, during the 2019 election campaign. And the reason why is uh, they had a couple of uh, – uh, people that were considered to, to the right of the spectrum on in the morning time, and they needed for CRTC reasons and uh, you know other good policy reasons to have someone that was a little bit uh, more center or left. And I'm certainly not left, but uh, center or left. Uh, and so I'm uh, the evening guy. I'm on six o'clock every night, Monday through Friday. And I do political people, business people, development people, scientific people early in the week. And then later on the week, on Thursdays and Fridays, I often do lifestyle people or arts people. Mm-hmm. I was the... Uh, president of the Mississauga Arts Council uh, for seven years. I, I was on the Arts Council for seven years, president for president for two. So I know a lot about uh, the current uh, art scene in Mississauga and Peel and Toronto and uh, invite a bunch of those guests on. And, uh, you know, I've been involved in politics, uh, you know, since uh, before you and I were young kids. Uh, and uh, and uh, I've uh, been chair of the Mississauga Summit. And so I know something about uh, civic politics. And uh, so it's uh, it's been an interesting gig, frankly. I've really enjoyed it. What uh, can you just give us an example of a really great interview that you you did that maybe was surprising or went in a direction that you weren't expecting? Uh, sure, I had uh, uh, Dan uh, Donovan, who is the publisher and editor of Ottawa Life Magazine, uh, on actually just last night, oh. and uh, and he's an interesting guy. He uh, was a political staffer during the Kretchen years uh, in Ottawa, um, been very involved in Ottawa society, was a stand-up comedian at one point in time, and has uh, published and edited uh, Ottawa Life for numerous years. And it was about the conservative leadership campaign. And uh, it was uh, about, I think it was about his cover story, 6,000-word cover story that he uh, has issued on the existential crisis within the Conservative Party. And, um, and here's a former liberal staffer um, who's probably... I would think what I would describe as a centrist who was incredibly negative toward uh, the record of the, the Trudeau liberal government right. was of the opinion that, uh, that your uh, hero um, is taking the conservative party exactly in the wrong direction. And that, uh, that uh, Pierre Polyev, if elected as leader uh, will be unelectable mm-hmm. and uh, thinks there's going to be a, a problem and thinks that the, the conservative party wants to follow, um, you know, Trump to the right. And, uh, and yet, because Trudeau has taken the Liberal Party to the left, there's this gaping hole in the middle, and uh, no one is uh, no one is inhabiting that. Hmm. And it was really quite an issue. I wasn't expecting him to be so negative about uh, about the Trudeau Liberals, and I wasn't expecting him to be so incredibly negative about uh, Pierre Polyev. Yeah, um, it's funny you should mention that because I think Polyev, in a sense, people people outside of the Conservative Party some of the so-called experts don't know what to think. And so some are uh, some are running around with their hair on fire. Oh my God, he might get elected. And others are saying there's no way in God's green earth that he can get elected. So the, everybody has some strong opinions. Now, th- th- this is about the commentariat class. I, I'm not talking about regular Canadians, but uh, 
it, it's going to be interesting to see how how that actually pans out. I, you know, I think the most Trumpish politician we have in Canada is Justin Trudeau. So you know, I I don't take that criticism that uh, Pierre is like Trump. I think Justin Trudeau is like Trump. Really, that's interesting. The way he divides Canadians, the way he uh, he try, tries to look at those wedge issues. You know, I, I can make that. I can at least make that argument. But uh, well, we're not going to settle that one tonight. So, <laughs> he is, he is, uh, I think you know, very involved in the uh, Michael Ignatieff versus Stefan Dion campaign within the Liberal Party in when was it two thousand and six? I think it was, and um, maybe seven. I can't remember exactly. And and that was a hard-fought campaign with the elbows up. Mm-hmm. But this that is, he's never met a politician that has sharper elbows than Pierre Polyev. And, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he's talked about the, the first debate where Polyev went after Sade and then Sade went after Polyev. Um, and, uh, and he says he's never seen infighting within a party like this before. Anyway, it was, it was you know, you asked me what was, uh, yeah, yeah. it was intriguing and that was uh, an intriguing one. But I've had, I, 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 interesting, you know, how the Facebook memories come up. Um, I interviewed like a year ago, uh, Dr. Leslie Ann Lewis, um, uh, Aaron O'Toole. Um, you know, all I interviewed all of the candidates for the leadership of the Conservative Party a year ago, and uh, it was right around this time. And so it was, uh, you know, a fascinating look back. Well, if nothing, if nothing else, we give a lot of fodder to uh, interview programs because we have a lot of leaderships, Brian. Exactly, it was helpful. <laughs> exactly. I interviewed uh, Derek Sloan, and like that was a really interesting interview. I interviewed uh, just a couple months ago uh, Roman uh, Baber, who's running for the leadership of the Conservative Party. And we actually surprisingly agreed on a bunch of things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating opportunity for, for someone like me who loves to, to, to figure out what people are all about, to spend 45 minutes with somebody because they want to talk to you and they want to answer your questions. And so they're, they're on a hot seat and they get to, they get to talk and I get to ask the questions and it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful chance. Now you recently ran in the Ontario election for the none of the above party. So we got to talk about that. What was that like? Why did you run for the none of the above party? And uh, tell us about your experience in the, in the last provincial election. So I, ra- I ran because I really feel very strongly that there's something wrong with our democracy. And I wanted to be able to make that point. And uh, I've made that point on this radio, on my radio show. I've made that point in an article that I published in the, in the Toronto Sun, uh, and I wanted to make that point uh, during the in the election campaign. And effectively, what I was saying is I feared that uh, voter turnout would be low. I never dreamt it would be as low as it actually ended up being. Um, and uh, I, I made a bunch of arguments about, um, you know, how our first-past-the-post system um, just really messes things up from a, a, a representation standpoint that we don't get the, the people in parliament or the legislature that uh, that we should have. And I was, therefore, being a proponent of uh, referendum uh, proportional representation, um, recall, and real accountability. Uh, the proportional representation example I gave is that the Liberal Party in the last federal election counted for 1.5 uh, conservative votes. So a Liberal Party vote in Toronto counted equal to one and a half conservative votes in rural Alberta. Hmm. And that's because they were able to win ridings with 39, 40% of the vote while the conservatives were winning with 55, 60% of the vote in rural Alberta. And if you actually told a rural Albertan that his vote was worth 75% of a Toronto liberal, 
I think they'd get upset and rightfully so, because that's not one person, one vote. That's not our democracy. I never dreamt that the result would be so unbelievable. In the last election, a conservative vote in Ontario counted 10 times what a liberal vote counted. Mm-hmm. And an MPP vote counted five times what a liberal vote counted. And the most you know, shocking thing is the Liberals and the NDP both got 23% of the popular vote. The Liberals got, what was it, six seats, and the Conservatives got 30, uh, and, the, and the NDP got... Um, 31. 31 seats. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and if you had proportional representation, they both have 23% of the seats. And a Green vote counted one-fifteenth of a Conservative vote. So yeah. the, the Green Party should have had something like, you know, what was it, four, five, six percent of all the seats. They got one seat uh, in the election. And so I fear what ends up happening is people just don't think they have a voice. Their vote doesn't count. And it, and in a lot of cases, it doesn't. And and it's because of the, the way splits occur. It's the way that you've got concentration of votes. It's because of the first past the post system. You know, if you're a Green voter in the vast majority of Ontario, the chance that you're actually going to elect someone is, is zero. Um, or, you know, you could go back to the other examples. And, and frankly, the, the, the new Ontario party and the blue party, they actually won a couple of percent and they got zero seats. And I think that's wrong. And I think, you know, you and I had this conversation before on my show, when you were kind enough to come on my show, there were, according to most polls, 15% of the Canadian population that supported the uh, trucker convoy. Um, and you know, that's only 15. And frankly, a lot of people in that 15, when I quote that number, argue that the 15 should have been a lot higher. But 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 polls said it was 15%. That's four and a half million people. That four and a half million people really didn't have a voice in parliament. And one of the reasons why I think they wanted to go to Ottawa and, 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 and protest and complain and occupy was because they didn't have a voice. Um, Max Bernier and the PCP won, you know, what was it? Six or 7% of the popular yeah, vote. Yeah, seven, yeah. Um, so they would have had 25 seats in Parliament if you had proportional representation. If Maxime Bernier and his party had, you know, 7% of all the seats and and people had an outlet for their views to be heard in Parliament, number one, they would have seen that their views were being at least uh, broadcast and heard, even if right. not listened to. Uh, and then number two, there would have been less of a reason to go protest themselves. And then number three, they also would have seen that they were a small minority view rather than a majority view. Okay, Brian. Um, So here's the question though. When you were at the door in Mississauga explaining all of this, what kind of reaction did he get? Everyone, almost everyone agreed with me. Now they said justifiably, just as you would say, and I think you told me this before the election, not running for a major party, I've got no chance of winning. Um, But I didn't want to win. I wanted to make a point. And, uh, and, and, and I fear I didn't make this point as, as well as I wanted to, but you know, we had 43% turnout, 57% of the people didn't bother going to vote. And now, why, I, why do you think they didn't bother to vote because, couple, because of this electoral system? I think, I think because a lot of people realize their vote doesn't count, um, or think their vote doesn't count, um, because of the electoral system. I think because, uh, Rob Ford ran a leader type campaign where he, uh, you know, didn't make a lot of policy points. He didn't, uh, he didn't get out in front of the media. He tried not to make any mistakes. He, he just tried to sleepwalk his way through the election. 
And frankly, most importantly, is there weren't charismatic, uh, dynamic leaders of the Liberal Party and the NDP. Could yeah. one of the reasons be that people were just kind of happy with Doug, Doug Ford and they, they didn't see a need for, uh, uh, they didn't see the need for change and they didn't think change was going to happen? The media, by the way, kept telling them that Doug Ford was going to win. So, yeah, that's possible. But if that was that, if that was the case, I, w- I think you would have had a lot more conservatives turn out. And you know, you actually had in absolute numbers less people turn out for the Conservative Party this election than turned out in the in the previous election. But the only reason why they went from you know a, a, a small majority to a big majority is because a whole bunch of other people turned out. And I, you know, you go back to the 2019 election. The reason why the 2019 election went from Stephen Harper to Justin Trudeau is because you had a whole bunch of new people young people and new Canadians that came out to vote. Um, and you go back to the United States and you think about election campaigns and popular votes there. You know, Obama um, had a whole bunch of new people show up. If that same crowd had shown up uh, in the Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump campaign, Hillary Clinton would have won. And she actually won the popular vote, but obviously lost the Electoral College. So you have to have, to get high turnout, you have to have a charismatic, dynamic person that comes out. And, you know, we don't know what the turnout is by age group yet in the last uh, provincial election. But lots of people have done, uh, you know, uh, surveys in the past. And people 60 and over have turned out like 80%. People 30 and under have turned out like 20%. So I think that it's a lot of young people, a lot of new Canadians, a lot of disenfranchised people that just, you know, didn't feel like their vote counted and couldn't bother to go to the, the voting booth. Um, now, now, do, is there anywhere that just has a pure proportional representation, though? Because obviously the United States isn't one of them. They have the Electoral College. Yeah. No, you know, I think you've got proportional representation in uh, in Italy and Israel. And, you know, there's 50 countries in the world that have some sort of uh, proportional representation. Now, Israel is going into its fifth election in three years. Yeah. And so one of the complaints that people make about proportional representation is parties have to work together. I don't think that's a problem. I think that's great. I think uh, compromise and collaboration and working together is what we want more of politicians. And the fact that, you know, the conservatives can get 40% of the popular vote, 40% of the popular vote of only 43% of the population voting. So, you know, you work out the math, it's a pretty small, you know, minority that actually voted for the conservatives and they have a super majority. I think it's wrong. And uh, and I think that uh, popular uh, proportional representation is, is the right way to go. And I do think that what will end up happening if you have that kind of a system is that you will have parties that will you know have to cooperate. And uh, and will the conservatives to make a majority have to cooperate with uh, the blue party or the new Ontario party? Potentially. Um, will the liberals have to cooperate with the NDP or the Green Party? You know, potentially. You see, I, I, you know, when I look at Israel, right? Uh, I, you know, I know you're saying that it it will lead to more moderation, but the uh, the uh, major party in Israel, whether it was Netanyahu or now uh, uh, Prime Minister Bennett, who has to go to the polls again, they have to they have to work with these extremist groups. So it actually leads to weird extremist policies that to placate the one or two seats they need as part of this coalition. Like it's not, it's not automatic that you're going to have moderation in the politics. If you have proportional representation. I agree. It's not, it's not automatic, but, but Tony, if that's what people want, if, if, if we actually believe we have one person, one vote, if that's what we say to ourselves and that's what we believe democracy is, we don't have one person, one vote in this last provincial election. We don't have one person, one vote in the last federal election. We don't, we have to admit that to ourselves. And so what you're arguing 
is for stability reasons, we want to uh, supersize people that get parties that get between 38 and 42% of the vote. Right. And we want to minimize people that get under 23%. And, 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 and it's an artificial way of, of sort of bastardizing our democratic system just so that we get stability. And I don't think we actually need that today. I think we've got a, a, uh, a economy, a system um, that uh, we can have proportional representation where we can actually represent that every vote counts. And I think if you had a green vote in, in Timbuktu um, and he knew that his vote or she knew that her vote was going to count, that was actually going to count for potentially one more seat, even though it was in an area where 90% of the people voted liberal or conservative, I think that'd be great. And I think you'd have people that would actually come out and vote. And, and my biggest concern is that if we end up having this continued trend of low turnout with 20% of people under the age of 30 turning out, you know, what does that say about our democracy in a couple of years or a couple of decades? Um, and no, I, I, I think it's a big problem. We're, we're just trying to grapple with what, what the best solution is. And, uh, you know, uh, you think about representational democracy, why did representational democracy, why was it created? It was created, you know, after the Magna Carta, uh, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Uh, and you know, why was a riding called a riding? It was because it was, uh, what a horse could ride in, in half a day. And that's why a riding was described as a certain, uh, um, uh, a certain uh, area. And uh, the reason why you had representational democracy is because people were working on the farms and there's no way that they could ever, you know, actually get together and go to London and vote. And so we had representational. We don't need to elect MPs and MPPs. And, 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 and I, I fear that a lot of the MPs and MPPs, they don't actually do anything independent. They do exactly what the leader and the whip tell them to do. Um, we don't have, you know, even in the, the U.S. system, which is not as as proportional as I'd like, because you're actually voting for the prime, the, the, the president and the governor separately from the senator and the congressperson, you can have a Liz Cheney. You could not have a Liz Cheney in our Canadian system, right? You, if you had a Liz Cheney in either the Conservative Party or the Liberal Party, number one, you wouldn't get your nomination uh, next time. Or number two, like Doug Ford killed out several people from the caucus, they'd be kicked out of the caucus and they would... Uh, um, not have, uh, you know, a seat that uh, got time and question period and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it remains to be seen whether Liz Cheney will be primaried out. So I'm not sure uh, she she may not be a good example. And the the, the fact is, like, I don't want to... even primaries? This even is not primaries. a poli-sci course, but, you know, when you have proportional representation, somebody has to create the list of who is going to be in parliament or in the legislature. It's usually the party leader who decides who's number one on the list and who's number 124 on the list. Well, as you know, there's different ways of doing it. And uh, the way that I like the best is the candidates that got the most votes. And so the list is created by the people. So if uh, if Tony Clement running either Paris Town or Brampton gets uh, more conservative votes than the next guy, he's the one that gets uh, on the list. And if Brian Crombie gets those uh those votes as an independent in uh, Mississauga Lakeshore, uh, he gets in. So I, you know, I think that different different systems, and you know, we've had the mixed member proportional, right. where what you do is uh, you uh, you have people elected from half as many ridings, so they uh, represent a district, a riding, and then you make up the other half uh, such that uh, you end up uh, achieving proportional representation um, over time. So I think there's different ways of achieving proportional representation. But bottom line, I think the Green Party deserves more of a voice in our legislature, given that they got the vote that they got. I think the liberals and the NDP should have equal seats rather than six and 31. 
And I think the conservatives, rather than having, what was it, 67% of the seats, should have 40% of the seats. They shouldn't have 67% of the seats. And so I think that our first past the post system, what it does for your amplification reasons or stability reasons is it, it, it magnifies um, Did, didn't we have a referendum in Ontario about moving away from first past the post and didn't, wasn't yeah. it defeated? So the problem is, is that people, once they get power, realize they got to, into power with the uh, system that existed and then they changed their mind. So no, no, just, but there was a referendum in Ontario on this. Oh, and, and Dalton McGinty campaigned against it. So he, he pledged to hold a referendum. He agreed to it. Mike Harris uh, pledged to have a referendum on proportional representation, and he pledged to uh, put in recall. And Mike Harris backed out of those commitments. And so part of the problem is that politicians, once they get elected, cite like, sort of like the system that got them elected. And, you know, Justin Trudeau, 1,500 times during the 2019 campaign, said this will be the last election under the first past the post until he got elected under a first past the post system and with a majority and changed his mind. So proportional Two. representation, does it have risk? Yes, but it's truly democracy. It's truly one person, one vote. Two, uh, two quick questions for you because we're running out of time. Uh, you were the chief financial officer for the Ottawa Senators. Yep. What was that like? You know what? It was fascinating. So uh, being the chief financial officer for a hockey team is interesting, uh, kind of sexy. But at the time, the uh, Ottawa Senators were looking at uh, moving the arena downtown Ottawa. Um, we had 53 acres of land, La Breton Flats. You're probably familiar with it because it was actually John Baird, uh, conservative uh, uh, MP at the time, that really got the whole process started. And, and John Baird, I think, did a spectacular job in getting that process started. Regrettably, it didn't finish. But we were going to build an arena downtown. We were going to have six and a half million square feet of development. It would have been um, – actually, I, I met uh, the, the president of the Calgary uh, Flames one day, and he said that uh, you know the, the arenas in cities are like the, the Roman Coliseum. Um, where it's the place where people come together. It's, it's the town hall. It's, it's the place that, you know, all the activity happens. And he says, but there's, um, you know, Madison Square Gardens is like the Coliseum for the United States. You walk around Madison Square Gardens. I'm not sure if you've ever had the, you see the pictures of Marilyn Monroe singing to John Kennedy. You see the 96 times that Billy Joel has sung. It's, it's like unbelievable. He said, you've got the ability in Ottawa to build the Coliseum for Canada the place where every political party will have their conventions, the place where every major speech will happen, the, the equivalent to the Kennedy Senate honors uh, will occur. Um, and it, out in Canada, where it is now, it, it's, it's more like an Ottawa Valley arena rather than the Ottawa arena. If it was right downtown, a kilometer and a half from Parliament Hill, it would have been spectacular. And it's the, one of my, the biggest regrets of my uh, career that, uh, that that deal was so close to going ahead, but didn't go ahead. And I think it's a huge shame. But it was an exciting job. You were a strategist for Disney? I was. I didn't even know that. So what was that all about? Another great job. So I uh, had the privilege of working in Los Angeles. I worked for a guy by the name of Gary Wilson, who was the CFO for the Walt Disney Company, who worked for Michael Eisner, who was the CEO at the time. And I did uh, strategic planning, um, real estate development, amusement park development in Southern California, uh, Central Florida, and Paris, France. And uh, I had a I did uh, about a nine-month study on what to do with 43,000 acres of land in Central Florida, and it was one of the most amazing projects that uh, I've ever worked on. It was really quite fun. I uh, tried to buy, uh, I had a contract to buy 86,000 acres of Camp Pendleton uh, from the Marines in, uh, just north of uh, San Diego, and we were going to move Disneyland south uh, to a, uh, a beachfront site. Um, it was pretty exciting. It was a good opportunity. And uh, do you agree with the slogan, don't mess with the mouse? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's other slogan is the happiest place on earth. Um, I think that, uh, Ron DeSantis, um, if you want to get into that has made a big mistake. Um, I think that, uh, you know, people love Disney and they love the characters and they, they, I, I actually interviewed someone, uh, just last week who, uh, who, who went to Disney uh, the week before she, she canceled and rescheduled the interview because she said the kids went crazy because they had been cooped up for two years and they had to go to Disney. Um, we did a big study during a recession. Disney is recession proof because if you uh, promise your kids, you're going to take them to Disney. You know what? Even if uh, money is short, you still take them to Disney. It, it is a wonderful place. It's got characters, brides, films that capture your imagination and have for generations. And I don't think you should mess with the mess. Oh, Jody, what do you think? You've been quiet. Jody's thinking about things. No, I'm, I'm trying to assemble my thoughts because I feel like I just sat through a committee meeting for Fair Vote Canada. So. <laughs> you, you did, I think. <laughs> I got nothing. You got nothing. Okay. Well, Brian, uh, listen, it's the end of our show. I know your show goes a little bit longer and good for you, but uh, this has been great to chew the fat on some of these big issues and some of the small issues. You're a great Canadian. You're passionate about uh, uh, the issues that you care about. And we, we thank you for joining us today. Well, Tony, I got to tell you that uh, I've had one conservative leadership aspirant in my living room ah. making a speech where I was raising money for him. And that yep. was you. And I was proud to support you. And it's uh, my one of my big regrets is that you're not uh, in the campaign to run for leader of the conservative party. Well, that's very kind of you, but uh, certainly... Uh, my mental wellness is uh, definitely on the plus side for not running. So there you go. We all have to make our choices. Take care, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks so much. Great discussion there. And um, I do apologize to Brian because I had him confused with David Crombie. So. Yeah, I know. I'm sure that you're not the first person, I'm sure. And then I got thinking, like, for some reason, I was thinking about David from. Like, I just, all these names kind of like. Hey, has uh, has uh, Steve Bacon emailed you yet? No. Why did he email you? No, he asked for your email address. So something, <laughs> something's coming. Were you, were you talking to him? <laughs> well, he ch- he texted me. He said, "What's Jody's email?" <laughs> so something's coming, my friend. Down oh, really? down the road. I have not seen any emails. Uh, I have okay. Not well, let it. You'll let you have to. You'll have to uh, report back uh, to our program and our listeners if you get a an epistle from Steve Bacon. Or a virus. What? A computer virus. Like oh, a computer he, virus. Okay. If he right. emails me a computer virus. Yeah, that's right. Don't click on the link. <laughs> Whatever you do. You can do some phishing, pH phishing. I got an email from Joe Oliver today, uh, and it it looked very I I'm sorry. It it looked like it was it said a message from Joe Oliver. Take a look, Dash, in particular the last two picks. And with a link, there's no bloody way I'm opening that. Jeez, look at you go with these big wigs emailing you. I, I, uh, I, I have to go out. I have to go out and buy that guy's recipe books, and he just emails you directly. No, not John Oliver, Joe Oliver. Oh wait, Jamie Oliver. <laughs> Jamie Oliver. That's it. Yeah, Jamie Oliver. <laughs> a lot of mistaken identification going on. Right? <laughs> oh, oh, Jody, Jody. <laughs> Oh, boy. How was your, far, your Father's Day, by the way? It was 
it was good. We drove actually. We were driving. Yeah, you're driving to, to Minden, yeah. The location and uh, it was it was good. You? Yeah, so. yeah. I had uh, all the kids around, which was nice. Yeah, it was it was fun. Did nice you have everybody, you were telling stories of the of what it was like growing up as a child for yourself? Uh, we didn't get into that too much, although, uh, there, uh, my daughter, Alexa, one of my daughters gave me a card that had an, I'm the boss button Okay, and, and the card indicated I could wear it for one day, then give it back to my wife. <laughs> so that was kind of cute. What, what did they get you for dinner? Like what'd they make you? Uh, steaks, uh, barbecued steaks and, uh, some veggies and some potatoes. It was, you know, good, good steak and potatoes meal. Okay, so actually, it's funny you bring that up because speaking of steak, you posted a picture of a steak or something from somewhere the other day, and I wrote you and I said, "Where are the potatoes? Was there potatoes on that plate anywhere?" Oh yeah, that was out. We were at a restaurant uh, 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 celebrating my niece's wedding, and uh, I that was at the Four Seasons. I can't remember where there probably weren't potatoes on that. No, that's just wrong. Yeah, I mean. It looked like there was pea shoots on there too. And, and to be honest, anything that has pea a, shoots on it, you've I, lost me. I think there was mashed potatoes that they sat the steak on. Yeah. I think that's what happened. I'm not one of those, like I am a big time meat and potatoes guy. And yeah. I like, not not like crazy portions, but I like a good hearty, home cooked, make you feel good meal. So like I said, steak and potatoes, prime rib potatoes, you know, pasta, like lasagna or chili or yeah, you know, I like all like that, that stuff. And I can't stand these places that do decorative meals with little portions, right? Like tiny. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. We had a good uh, raspberry pie too. That was delicious okay. for Father's Day. So tuck the potatoes in there, maybe. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I just got an pie. email. I wonder if it's Tony or Tony. I wonder if it's I wonder if it's Tony Pakin. Yeah. I wonder if it's Steve Pakin. <laughs> Here, let me just check while just we're check. Gonna... Yeah, check to see whether it's Steve. No, it is not. It oh. is not. Darn it. You have to report back. We'll report back at our next episode, whether you got the email. Oh, but it'd actually be more funny if he said, what's his address? And then I'm like, oh, hold on, Tony. <laughs> Steve. Steve. He liked the mug. I know I said that last week too. He liked the mug. So please, everyone, we got merchandise. Come on now. Seekagency.com. Go order and uh, help us. Put gas on our Bentleys. Exactly. Uh, it's getting expensive it. out there. It is expensive for a Bentley. They run on premium, you know. So. Do they really? Oh, dear. We're in trouble. As if you act like you don't know. You've got two. I only have one. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to trade mine in for a Maserati. All right. Once again, thanks to John Mutton and the crew at Municipal Solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. They are our presenting sponsor each week. Also, don't forget to check out Looney Politics. Dot com Become an annual subscriber. Use the code podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription. Again, looneypolitics.com. And Tony, you can wrap up with our other supporters. Yes. Again, 8.30 Saturday mornings. You can listen to our podcast at huntersbayradio.com. And we also want to thank the Muskoka chef, Julie, who is our sponsor as well. You can find her at themuskokachef.com or call Julie at 416 846 Three six five three. Excellent. Well, enjoy the rest of uh, <laughs> rest of uh, your week, whatever. And yes. uh, we got some exciting guests coming up. You're going traveling again. Yes. And uh, is there anywhere you're not going to go this year? By the way, I'm trying to go everywhere uh, as everywhere. much as possible. 
because I, you were so locked down the last I was year. so locked down and uh, now I'm just enjoying traveling wherever I can. Yes. And so I so I, I think I've said this on the show like I'm I did not get vaccinated but now I can go places, right? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. But but people that are unvaccinated from other countries can't come to Canada, right? Uh, apparently, uh, inbound, you still have to be double vaxxed. So I can, but I can fly out and goes, okay, that's good. I'm not going to complain. I just you can fly out. Good. I don't know if you can come back though. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I'm Canadian. How can they, they can't keep me out? I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but, uh, I thought that that was the cruel irony of what they were proposing. You could still seriously? fly in Can You can fly in Canada. No problem. But yeah, not- yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess if you're going outbound international, you might have to quarantine on the way back then. I don't know. I, I well, I I'm not going to fly anywhere anyway. If I go anywhere, I'm driving to Florida. I thought I thought inbound travelers had to be double vaxxed. That's what, mm. the way I thought it was working still. But I could be wrong. You, you, you don't have to leave, but you can't stay here. I know. So. It's just so <laughs> bizarre. Anyway, don't get me started. All right. Well, we, we will do this again in seven days. I think we will.